Yes, so um, welcome to yet another week of um, Bible study as we continue on this journey of Revelation, um, you know, um, the book according to the Revelation to John. Was it to John or of John? Can't really tell. Um, but yeah, for the guys who are new here, uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, for the regulars, like Koima said, uh, thank you for just keeping it strong, you know, uh, continuing with us. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. I commend you. Um, and it's not for us, you know, it's it's for God, it's for the knowledge that you're getting. And yeah, so I just want to welcome you guys, every single one of you, and say a massive thank you. Um, for those who have not been able to be with us, or if it's your first time, um, you can catch up with the latest, or you can go back and watch the previous um, sermons, the previous teachings on Spotify, just like Koima said. So don't feel too, you know, um, out of place. Um, if you have any questions, you are more than welcome to raise your hand in the chat. I'll see you, Katie will see you. Um, you can jump in or you can, you, you know, uh, send a message in the chat either publicly or to us specifically and we will get to it. So yes, um, I think we can begin. Um, today we are in Oh, if someone can remind us, let me see, let me see who was here last week. Um, tell us where we stopped. Aha. Let's see, I am seeing Melissa. I think you were here. Yeah, Melissa, you were here last week. Um, can you kind of catch us up on where we're at so far? Or where you're at? Mm-hmm, you are you are you want in. Yeah, that's what I've said. Either catch us up where we're at or where you're at. How have you been um handling the whole revelation series? Um, is there anything new that you've learned, particularly that has stood out in the past few weeks? You know, as you listen online, as you catch up with past teachings, how's it been for you? Just give us like a quick update and then we can start. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, it's been an eye-opening experience doing Revelation. Um, cause firstly, it's been a hard book just to read on my own. I'd never. I used to hear Revelation. I'm like, Anna, ah, I can read John. Feel loved, you know. Feel, feel, feel the goodness. But it's been an eye-opening experience reading Revelation, cause it's more to what I thought it was. And um, bring it with you guys makes it much better and easier to consume um, the information. And yes, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Um, yes, Katie, thank you for the link for the guys who wanted who wanted direct link to the um, love projects. And you know, this, I think this is a direct link to the previous um, session we had last week. There it is in the chats. Um, but for today, I just want to jump right into where we left off. So quick recap, we had uh, started discussing the seven seals. Um, this was in <clears throat> chapter six, chapter six, yeah, chapter six. And um, so we had done the first four, which was the first four horsemen. And as we discovered, 
it was very, very, a very, very interesting experience. Um, KT brought a very interesting kind of perspective to it compared to, to mine, which was also different. So I was talking about how the horsemen that we see are actually things that we're experiencing now that will come to a climax, you know, on the final day. And KT was talking about the final day and how that looks like. So it was very interesting to begin to see how the things that were being mentioned that, that John was seeing in his vision were actually already at play with the culmination coming very soon. Remember that we said, you know, one of the core things about Revelation that I want you guys to always remember is that it was a letter. So it cannot mean to the to us what it did not mean to the original people who had the letter written to them, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. There is no way that a letter written to people in the in that century can mean anything different to us. Or rather, there's no way that we can take something that they didn't have or that they didn't understand and say that this is what it means to us while well, that's not what it meant to them. Um, and that's been the core foundation of this entire study that we've been doing. So with that in mind, we can begin to see how the first four seals, you know, the white horse, the red horse, the um, pale horse, and was it the black horse? Yes, the black horse actually transcend time space and can continue to be seen from the beginning of time in the introduction of sin down to the last days and even beyond the last days, they will still be present. But today I kind of want to, um, as, we, as we go into the next two seals, uh, I kind of wanted to wrap up the four horsemen um, and then maybe hand it to KT if you have any closing remarks on the four horsemen. Um, but last week we, no, actually, I've just remembered, we figured the third horseman, if I'm not wrong, KT, Cindy. Uh, so we were on the black horse. So we were supposed to do the pale horse, and then I would have some remarks on that. Um, so I can just begin with that. And maybe I can have someone read um, the pale horse, the fourth seal, which is Revelation 6 seven and eight. Um, anyone can just unmute and read. Revelation six, seven and eight. Allah. Uh, verse 7 says, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. Uh, that's seven, eh? Okay. Um, says, and I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Is that that one? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Marsh. Um, okay. 
Yes, thanks so much. So it's 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 uh, very interesting. As we begin to see, this is the first horse that we're seeing that has accompanying uh, kind of small horses, if uh, that, 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 that actually makes sense to you. So it is the pale horse. And it's actually interesting because um, the, 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 the word pale, if you translate it to its, to its original Greek language, it's not the pale that we're used to. It's uh, not the, the like pale gray. It's actually yellowish green. That's what pale really means in its in the Greek original language. So you can begin to see the yellowish green horse, and we see its its depiction. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. When you think of yellowish sick, it's not a color that you typically associate with anything that is ripe, anything that is vibrant, anything that is that is kind of you know lively. It comes with death. It comes with like you know decay. Like that's. That's what yellowish green actually depicts in our current society. And that's how it's always been throughout time. You know, boils, pass all these things. You know, I, I don't want to get too much into details because I know there's some people who are, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, so we're seeing that this horse is coming with the grave and was given authority over one fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and disease and with wild animals. This, I, I really don't know how to say this because I really need this to hit home. The four horsemen are, they are depictions of what we're going through today with a culmination of what is to come in the end times. So they have been released. We are living in a world and I know I don't have to, to, to really give specific examples because we experience all these things. When we think about the pale horse, when we think about death and the grave, we have people who we've lost. We have people that that you know that we see that are very close to us in our family, our friends. You know, we see it in the news. We see death and the grave, and it's 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 testament to where we're at today because we're seeing it even more, which is an indication of the places that we're at. You know, of of the of of the what's it called the intensity at which end times are coming to us at. We're seeing more death. We're seeing the graves kind of even begin to burst out of their seams. A lot of people are dying. We're seeing massive, massive loss. And this is a hint of what is to come in the end times. And we're going to see in chapter nine and 10, going into the rest of Revelation, what the culmination of these beasts, of these horsemen actually looks like on the final days. Um, but Sticking to this pale greenish horse, um, we see what Jesus has to say about it. Um, we see in Matthew 24, verse 14, and I'm just going to read it. And it says, um, so this is in a culmination of the, of, of the four horsemen. This is Jesus kind of winding up. Um, and it says, Matthew 24, verse 14, I'll post it on the chat. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole land, the whole world, sorry, so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So Jesus is talking about the final of the finals. But remember, throughout Matthew 24, he has been talking about how these things will begin to be seen. But then he continues and says that after the good news 
of the, of the kingdom is preached throughout the world, then the end will come. So it is interesting because <laughs> we see that there are kind of, um, let me say, labor pains before the actual birth of, of, the, of the culmination of all these things. And I think that's where KT was coming in very well to give us a true depiction of how the, the climax of all these things would look like. So maybe KT, you can talk about this pale horse and how it actually looks like in its climax. Okay, um, thank you. Thank you, Israel. I hope you guys can hear me clearly. Yep. Um, yeah, so something that I did concerning the pale horse, I, I just want us to have this picture of how it will be. Also, I want us to remember that rapture happens between Revelation 4 and 5, and this is now the stage. And as we continue to read, when you get to Revelation 8, we will get to find that um, John first was focusing on heaven. And now he will shift his focus now to earth because now it's like, as in things are happening um, in the world. The first horse, the, the first, sorry, seal was about, and, and by the way, another thing we discussed is the only one who was able to open the seal was the lamb that was slain. And that was Jesus. And as you read the book of Revelation, you find that the word lamb is actually written in capital. It's in capital. There's a reason that speaks of Jesus. Um, and, and you find that the first seal, it was about, um, it was about a living creatures, voice of thunder. And this one was like ushering the antichrist. And then the second one, and by the way, the antichrist, he had only a bow without arrows. And then the second one, um, it's about war. And this one is absence of peace. The third one is famine. Imagine all this is happening. There is war, there is famine, as in there is hunger, you can't buy stuff and it's just difficult. And then now the pale horse, just to add to what Israel is saying, as in this man has been given the power to kill. As in, this man goes around, and, and there's a reason as to why the Bible says that the rider was named Death and Hades followed. I want us to know that Hades, um, um, Reuben read from King James, King James has the word hell. But when you go to the original Greek language, you find that it's not hell, the, 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 the hell that is being spoken, about in Revelation 20, which is like the final place where the, it's called the lake of fire. Hades was a temporary place. There's a was a temporary place where the wicked would go. And uh, it was actually divided before Jesus died. You find that the people that were righteous according to the standard of righteousness, people like Abraham, for example, before Jesus died, they will go to Hades but um, um, in fact, Hades, the exact word is abode for the dead. Every person that died before Jesus, they will go there. And when Jesus um, died and uh, the Bible says he descended, when he descended, he went to Hades. Now this is the temporary hell, the abode of the dead. He went and picked the people that were righteous according to the standard. I think it's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he took everyone 
that was righteous according to that standard. But the people that didn't know God, they were in the bottom place. And the book of Luke chapter 16 from verse, from verse 16 to 26 paints that picture, explains it so well. So the other people are actually there, but Jesus took the ones that were righteous. That's why Paul says in the book of first of second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight, that absence from this body is presence with God. So when you die, you actually go to God. And then, and, and, and this person is as in death and Hades followed. And uh, as in death would claim the body, but your soul, your, your, your mind and everything. If you read the book of Luke chapter 16, it explains there's a state called intermediary state, intermediary state, intermediate state, sorry. It's the state between death and the second coming of Christ where it's a resurrection, resurrection where now you'll be thrown to the lake of fire. And you find in the book of Luke chapter 16 from verse 16 to 26, as in this guy that died, they could feel, they could still um, 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 feel like as in the, the pain and everything. And that's why he was saying, man, they send someone so that they can, they can minister to them. And, uh, and, and you find that in that intermediate state, as in people can actually feel, people can actually still speak but they are confined there's no way you can be able to move so hades actually it has all these other things and the the body is that which we use to operate in this world and uh, another thing about pale and israel alluded to that you find that this person was given a quarter of the earth the word pale is also um that yellowish green is actually leprous in color the people that were lep leprous and um, they were like somewhat, somewhat looking like that. And uh, I, I just want you to picture of, as in people are dying by the sword, there's famine, there's plague, there's wild beast, as in there's all these things. And if the people that remain will go through this, how intense will it be? Imagine there's no food, all these other things are not there. And this one is not to scare us, but it's to give us hope and to make us get to the place of revering God that when it comes to the time of rapture, we will have prepared ourselves as in like um, a being without blemish, as in no one is perfect, but we will be at a place that we've, we've done our part. That's why we started with the churches. That's why we started with the churches. As in, if there's something in us, which church could we relate with? If it's to, 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 to not to forsake our first love and all this, we have to come back so that when rapture happens, Manze, we will not be left behind and also to reach out to as many as we can. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what I can be able to say about that part back to you israel or anyone who has a question you know the question or comment uh as you continue awesome um feel free to just raise your hand or stick it in the chat and we'll see it um but yes as it was in country katie thank you so much for that um so what i'm focus on is to take us back to what we said at the beginning, 
about the book of Revelation. So we said that, you know, it cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. But something that we also said that is very important is Revelation is a book of hope for Christians. It is a book that is, you know, contrary to popular belief, it is not a book that is supposed to scare us. If anything, it is the, the book in the Bible that should give us the most hope because it is a culmination of every single book from the from Genesis all through to the Gospels, all through to the letters. It is a culmination of all these things. So where is the hope in these four seals broken? Where is the hope for us today as Christians? And how do we battle the what is the beginning or let me say the middle going to the end of these horsemen being released into the world. So for the white horse, remember, you know, like um, we talked about, this is the antichrist. How do we beat the, this, this whole narrative of the antichrist and false teaching in the church and in the world? Well, we start by proclaiming the goodness of God and Christ as the only way to God. Remember, just like Katie said, the fact that this antichrist has a bow and not an arrow means that they're pointing us, or rather they are, they are an image of a false or a different type of Christ. And the main message that the world has, the main message of this antichrist coming will be that there are many ways to God, that there are many ways to be saved, that there are that, that, you know, that you don't need the word as it is, that you can always substitute. So as Christians, the way that we're supposed to fight this white horse in our day and age today is to boldly proclaim the goodness of God and Christ as the only way to God. And we must embody the doctrine and not just know it. Remember, this antichrist, the false teachers, they're people who know the word inside out. But there are people, or there are there are there are an entity that does not embody the doctrine. As Christians, you have no hope of fighting this white horse in your life today if you are not embodying the doctrine of Christianity. To embody means to live holistically. So it's not about lip service. It's it is about fullness, like a full engulfing in it. And this takes us back to chapter one when Jesus was uh, talking to to the churches. The core message of what he was saying was, man, you must embody the word that is being given to you. And all these churches were failing miserably at it. That, that's why it was so important for them, for Jesus to kind of hammer this in, like you must embody the doctrine and not just know it. The red horse, this is the war, the, the horse of war. How do we beat this horse today in our lives, you know, as young adults, as Christians living in 2021? Um, I just wrote down a few things. Number one, we must receive the gospel of peace. Remember that we must receive the gospel of peace. In a world where everyone is talking about war, where everyone is so quick to anger, we must receive the doctrine of peace. How does, the, how does this doctrine look in today's world? But I can give a very practical example that we see all over. Everyone has well, rather mainstream media, mainstream lifestyles are about proving everything to everyone. And as we're seeing, it is increasingly becoming more violent, our ways that we, that we need to prove. We have people that take the law into their own hands because they need to prove a point in the society. We have people who are willing to 
kill people who are willing to slander others online just to prove their own point. Like these are the very faint, and I say this very, very faint um, essence of this red horse in our personal lives. But we see it go even further in our governments where people are going to war, where in our in our, in our families, in our societies, where people are, are going to actual, actual bloody war for the sake of just proving a point. And the only way that we, that we can beat this red horse in our personal lives is to embrace the gospel of peace. And in our, like, in our community life, it is to actually pay attention to the red flags around us and speak peace into them in how we live and how we walk. So it goes back into the first thing that I said, which is to embody the doctrine and not just know it. And before I move to the black horse, I've seen Don's hand is up. So yeah, Don. Tombe. Uh, me for me, uh, yeah, 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 go on. For me, for me, it's actually a question. Um, yes. so just, just I know that I've not been in since chapter one and everything, but so you, you said that we should embody the, the doctrine of peace, senior. Um, this is weird, but uh, you, you, you know, you maybe you can just elaborate. Um, in, in, in Matthew 10 34. Um, Christ says that, do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, you know? And so, um, yeah, maybe you can uh, expound more on that. Yeah, that's, that, that's actually a really, really good question. If you look at the context of the verse, or even just the wording, like you said, Christ says, I have not come to bring peace to the world. Remember, Christ is still described as the Prince of Peace. So he is peace in something, but where is the peace being directed to? So he says, the Prince of Peace says, I have not come to bring peace to the world, but a sword. So we have two things at play. We have the world and we have the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is peace that is led by the Prince of Peace. In the kingdom of the world, there is peace that is a false peace. And Christianity is being forced to bow to that peace. So I can, I can, I can give like an example today. Um, we're called as Christians to be peaceful, you know, like in the, in the kingdom of God, in our churches, in our houses, peace is something that we're supposed to embody. But when it comes to the world, we are being forced for the sake of peace to agree to some doctrines that are contrary to the Bible. And for that, we're not supposed to be peaceful. We're supposed to attack violently and call out these things. So, you know, I can go even further and give an example. You know, you can, you can think of the examples in your own lives. Um, so this is a bit touchy, but um, it's something that, that, is, that is in the mainstream media right now. So we have this whole issue of um, abortion, you know, for the sake of peace, you're supposed to agree that a woman's body is a, you know, is a, is a, is, 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 is for, is for her to do whatever she pleases with. And if she, and if she chooses to do A, B, C, um, then it's up to her for the sake of peace. But for the sake of the kingdom of God, we know that abortion is murder. And this is biblical knowledge. But if you go and say this in the mainstream, it will be met with a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of violence. And for that, that is what Jesus is saying. Like, I have not come to bring peace. 
have come to disrupt the way the world thinks and the way the world perceives peace. Because the true peace can only be found in me, the Prince of Peace. I know I've said peace a lot of times. And I know that the example I've given is kind of, you know, like, like it needs a whole lot of the, the conversation behind it. And I'm willing to go into that. But I just wanted to give something that's very mainstream, something that, that, that is really popular in our conversations today, just to give an example of what that piece looks like and what the sword actually looks like. So I hope that has made sense, Don. Um, maybe Uneza to confirm or deny, if, if that's okay, I'm going to turn to more examples. Awesome, awesome, yes. Um, glad that made sense. Anyone else with a comment or question? on the first horses, the first two horses. Sawa Sawa. So the final two horses, the black horse. Um, this is the horse that has come to deprive, the horse that has come to, you know, that is of famine, that is of lack. How do we beat this horse today as Christians? In our personal lives, we beat the black horse or rather the, the beginning of the essence of the black horse in our lives today by radical hospitality. There is no way that we can beat lack <laughs> by, by not embodying the, gen, the, the principle of generosity according to the Bible. Give and it will be given back to you. And we know this verse, you know, pressed down and shaken together, running over. This is how we beat the black horse. In a world where everyone is hoarding everything because there is a lack of resources, as Christians, we've been called to live radically, to, to live in radical hospitality. What this hospitality looks like, again, going back to the Bible, radical generosity and re completely rejecting this very popular mindset of scarcity mentality where people are like, there is so little, so I must take, take, take all that I can get for me and my family. But as Christians, we're being called to actually live the complete opposite. Because if we're living fully, like if, 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 we're, if, we're, if we're living in full generosity, if we're living in full hospitality, then this black horse is completely defeated. There is no way that it can come to take from us because we're drawing from the world that is Jesus, the world that is God, a world that never runs out. And we're showing the world that actually there is no lack. Everything that we have, we get. Everything that we need, we're given by Christ. And that is how the Black Horseman is beaten. I'm seeing Doreen has um, given us a comment. Uh, so I'll just read it out. Just to add on what Don said. Christ also meant in Matthew that he was seeking true followers. People would be split up. Um, oh, sorry. People would be split father and son, daughter and mother. His kind of war was to sift, to pick those who truly belong to him. That is completely true, Doreen. Yes, it was to disrupt, completely, completely disrupt um, the, the, the way that the world had chosen to kind of have its own version of peace. So yes, I completely agree with you. Um, so the final horse, the final, final, or rather, sorry, the black horse, how else we can, we can beat it? Um, two final things is to know your neighbors in a way that you can pray for them and speak life into them. Um, I think we know this very popular Nyubakumi initiative that was started a while ago, 
where it's like you take time to actually know your neighbors and that enhances the security ar around your place because at least you know who you're living next to. And as Christians, the way that we beat the black horse is by knowing your neighbors so intimately that it's not just a simple hi and goodbye and it's something I'm very guilty of. I have barely ever known my neighbors, but this thing really, really challenged me because I found that when I don't know the people living next to me, I don't care for them. And when I don't care for them, I am living for myself. And when, I, when I'm living for myself, I fall into the trap of that scarcity mentality where it's like, I just need to secure my peace. I need to secure my everything. And when I fall into that trap, then I begin to see how much I'm truly lacking. I begin to see the famine in my, in my spirit, man, and even in the physical because I'm just trying to get everything that I can and I'm not being satisfied. But I found that when I actually begin to know my neighbors personally, begin to know their names, begin to know their families, I find myself praying for them and having names to the prayers that I'm praying. And trust me, when, I, when you begin praying for people intimately, people that you actually have a heart for, it begins to take away that scarcity mentality. It begins to take away that, it begins to take away the power of this black horse. And we, and we begin to live, you know, um, like we, it, it kind of shifts our mind from this scarcity mentality to living with open arms knowing that all we have has been given to us by God. And trust me, there is nothing that can beat this black horse more than that in our personal lives. And finally, the pale horse, how do we beat death as Christians? And I know that is such a weird question because everyone dies. But remember, going back to chapter one, that very famous line that Jesus said through John, some of you are alive, but dead. Meaning that as the pale horse is coming to that climax at the end in the final day, its remnants are being seen today in Christianity because we have Christians who are living, who are alive, but dead. So how do we beat that in our lives today? We fight this horse by praying, prayer and experiencing and expecting in great faith. Now, I, I want to camp out here for just a bit because there's a big difference between expecting in great faith and giving God no alternative, or rather giving God alternative, coming with an ultimatum. We expect in great faith. What this looks like is knowing that God is good, knowing that what God has in store for us is amazing and knowing that he is all powerful and we're not, but still approaching his kingdom, approaching his throne with open arms, saying that this, these are my desires, do with them what you will. That is how we live in great expectation of faith. And this faith can be faith for our jobs, faith for healing, faith for, you know, for a better life. It can be faith for, for other people who are, who are in a season of lack, a season of death, great expectation and faith. That is how we beat this pale horse. Praying, you cannot, you have no chance of beating this pale horse in our lives, spiritually, if you do not have an active prayer life. And we're going to see just what prayer looks like as we go into the rest of Revelation and why it's just so important. And we're going to see some of the things that we do today, why they're so important and why we should really be doing them because these horses are linked to each and every one of the, the way that we live our lives. A prayerful life and expecting it in faith is the only way that we can beat the pale horse spiritually. Physically, how can we beat the pale horse? Prayer still. 
prayer is like KT likes to say, it is an earthly license for Ekitia Puta. You'll have to in this idea. It is a earthly license for heaven intervention. Earthly license for heaven's intervention, yes. Heaven's intervention comes both in the spiritual and the physical. I have been in situations and I've heard stories where people have literally prayed and the intervention from heaven has seized or has kept them from a physical death. There's so many stories you can hear. There's so many things. Let me tell you, being present in the, like in prayer, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in because he helps us to pray. Being present in prayer and allowing us, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. So again, we're seeing the things that we've been talking about since we started this Bible study, praying in tongues, you know, participating in, in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and actually being holistically involved. It goes into beating this pill horse because intervention from heaven keeps us from a spiritual death, most definitely. And in certain instances, it keeps us from a physical death. And again, I don't want to get into all those stories because we know them and we've heard them and some of us have, have actually lived them. So it is, you know, <laughs> it's there, it's there. That's how we beat the pill horse. So for all these things, as we come into the culmination of these four, this, these four horsemen and these four seals, we see that the out, like, what this, like how we actually beat these four horsemen is by avoiding a lukewarm Christianity, essentially. If you're lukewarm in your Christianity in any way, shape or form, these four horsemen have taken you captive. And you can begin to see, and you can begin to just have an audit of your life where you have seen a lukewarmness and begin to correlate that to the loss, to the kind of pain that you're experiencing and you will draw conclusions are like you will draw parallels to these horsemen in one way shape or form so if you want to have any hope of beating these four horsemen obviously led by the holy spirit we must 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 make sure that we are not living a lukewarm christian life and we're going to see just how detrimental this is moving into the next chapter but before we do that um if anyone has anything to say any comments, any question? I know that was a, that was a bit much. Um, so we can just come out here for a few seconds. Questions, comments. Katie, if you have anything to add, you are welcome. Um, can I say something? Yes, go on. Um, so, Koyokles, uh, uh, lukewarm, being a lukewarm Christian. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I love, I love, so I, I, I believe that this is God speaking, right? So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. I love what verse 17 says. It says, you say I am rich. I have grown wealthy, I am and need nothing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Um, what comes to mind is that oftentimes we associate um, gods with the riches. Um, it's 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 weird because God in this in this space is saying that um 
that even though you are poor, even though you are rich, you're still blind and poor and naked. And it's 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 actually just a caution to us that um, for those who seek material gain, material gain is not a reflection of God's. Um, it's it's not a reflection of God's peace in your life per se, if I can say that. It's not a reflection of um, that you are in agreement or in alignment with God's purpose in your life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely makes sense. Thank you so much for that. That's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you, Don. Um, I'm seeing in the comments, um, Wangeshi says that, I don't know why, but that part of living in generosity just really touched me. Yes. And, and it's, it's, it's um, something that is very hard to do in today's society because, again, going back to the scarcity mentality, it's almost like going against the norm, like 110% against the norm of what we're being taught. But yet this is the message of Christianity. So it's, you know, very, very interesting things. Um, Katie, do you have anything else to add on this? Um, let me just try to bring it a bit closer to home. Still on the sales, um, you find that the first part, when rapture happens, the Antichrist as in comes like a, like a peaceful leader, and we will get to find it in Revelation 13 as we continue to dig. And uh, um, 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 you, you find that he will bring the world together and he will perform counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. By the way, you will, we will get to explain that the Antichrist will perform miracles, by the way, um, signs and wonders. And uh, this tries to, this paints a picture of how the enemy can actually be a copycat. And there will be false peace. And you find that Europe, will be united and you will find that there's a pact or a, um, is it a covenant like a treaty um, that will be made with the Jews. And uh, you will find that um, during that time, there will be a lot of confusion. And when it comes to the sixth seal, as in there is a lot of chaos, there's a lot of chaos. There's physical destruction of earth. You will find that the political systems here are now shaken. There, there are three earthquakes that have been mentioned. And uh, some people are saying that, um, some people, as I was researching, that they're saying this is like North Korea, China, ETC, and you find there's a lot of atomic warfare. This is according to how some other people are saying. And uh, the Antichrist will rule over Europe and states, and we will get to see that there's a revived Roman Empire, um, which will have um, other people that will rise up. And we also find that democracy will come to a cessation end democracy will come to end there will be militarism unona like for example in a country when uh, the election is um, is like for example nullified power is handed over to military like I, there's a country an asian country i don't know whether it's myanmar ama as in there's a there's chaos as in it's chaos when military take over it's chaos as in you either do this or you as in 
it's it's just so bad it's just so bad <coughs> sorry <coughs> and according to revelation 18:13 we find that slavery will be present great wealth will coexist with great poverty and economies will be wrecked economies will be wrecked as in there will be a lot of turmoil and this is now this is just the beginning of the three and a half years they are divided into two um we are starting with the seals and their judgments and their um their bowels over to you israel hey wow that is <laughs> that that is heavy 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 but guys this is this is where we're going to i mean this is where we are right now some of the things that you've said are going to happen i'm sure we can just look in the news today and see glimpses of how that looks like right now um so yeah man that's <laughs> where, where we're going to get into the details of that and i can't wait but, but for now we have two more seals um left all right is it two or three so we've covered four or oh, seven seals sorry um we have three more seals um we're going to look at the fifth and the sixth and hopefully we can get through it so we can this is in chapter six and seven um so we can have someone read revelation six uh, as we look to the next seal six verse nine to seventeen revelation six nine to seventeen just feel free to unmute and read it out thank you so much I will read. Um, yes, I think was it Lydia goes to us actually. Yes, go on. Okay. Uh, Revelation 6, verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before thou will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When, yeah. when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its, its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the generals and the rich and the strong and everyone, slave and free, hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him 
who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand before it? Thank you so much for that, Lydia. Um, so <laughs> we can see this is another very, very heavy, heavy set of um, verses that we are reading here. But remember, Revelation is a book of hope. So let's begin to see where the hope actually lies with us, um, you know, for us as Christians. So we're seeing these, these next two seals, it is dealing with religious persecution and natural calamities. Um, there's, a, there's a very big difference between these, these, these two and the first four that we've seen, in that the first four are true for human experience everywhere and in every single time. There is death, there is, there is lack, there is war, there is, you know, death, there is, sorry, this, uh, the false teaching of the Antichrist. These first four are, are definite and they're absolute across human experience everywhere and always. But these two are kind of secondary to that, like the secondary seals or other secondary judgments because they're, they're bound to a specific time, a specific people in a specific region. So looking at religious persecution and natural calamities in today's world. So um, I can give an example for religious persecution. Here now in Nairobi, Kenya, or wherever you're watching from, you have the freedom to tune in and listen to the word. You have the freedom to participate in this Bible study. You have the freedom to have a notebook and profess that you're Christian. Here and now still in a place like India, China, uh, it is almost impossible, or actually it will lead to death if you were to process, if you were to, um, if, if you were to outwardly say that you're Christian to profess your faith. This both, both these things are happening here and now, but they're very different. One group is facing religious persecution while another is not. Here and now in New York City, USA, there is calm, there is no natural calamity. But here and now, across the, uh, across the country, in places like California, you have wildfires, you have um, places like in, in um, what's it called? You have in, uh, I think it was in Australia, beginning of last year, where you have um, wildfires. So like these, these two things are happening here and now, but they're, they're very different and very bound to specific times and specific places. So I hope that we're beginning to see kind of the differences between, and we're beginning to see the dynamic kind of judgment that is being brought by these seals. Um, I'm seeing KT here sent something very, very interesting. Hunger is being persecuted because they're against LGBTQ and are Christians. According to uh, BBC, they were kicked out of the, of the, of, of the EU. In Greenville, California, there are wildfires. In Greece, there is not one of, there is, there is not um, the one of the rapture. Oh, sorry, in Greece, and these are not one of the rapture. Yes, 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 yeah, definitely. So I actually want to zero in on, on this example that Katie has given before I allow him to continue to expound. 
a great example of religious persecution today is exactly this that we're seeing in Hungary. They face so much backlash because they refuse to um, acknowledge the LGBTQ. I know that it was a big issue in the Euros, and I know that it has had massive, 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 um, what's it called? It had, it, it's, it's had massive backlash politically and, econ and econ economically when it came to, um, what's it called? When it came to how they've been interacting with the rest of the EU. So yeah, Katie, maybe you can talk a bit more about it. Pardon, I, I was trying to unmute, so I didn't get you. Sorry about that. Anisasa, I was just saying, um, maybe you can talk more about the religious persecution. Um, you've given the example of Hungary. Uh, you can maybe bring it closer to home and tell us how that looks like for us as Christians today. Um, as in, there's quite a lot that is happening, especially to Christians, and this relates to how it was um, in the in the in the in the in the Bible. You find that the persecution that is happening now is vast. You might find that there's persecution of the mind, where Christians are being attacked when it comes to, to your mind. And uh, you find that um, like on the work front, just because you're Christian, there are some privileges that you're not given. I remember there's another friend of mine who was working in a, in a very big organization just because he was Christian and to them, he was like a snitch. So whenever they would have meetings on how to, as in find ways that they can make money that in an illegal way, they would not involve him. They won't um, allow him to be in meetings. And he got to a place that he was actually losing his job. And uh, there, are, there are many, 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 many illustrations when it comes to persecution, because you can also find this persecution also within the church. And uh, you find, um, like, for example, let me bring it from a biblical perspective. You find that Jesus, not Jesus, even Paul, he was persecuted by his own people, as in the people that were supposed to, to help him to spread the word and to reach out to, to people. They actually persecuted him. And I think it's in the book of Acts, you find where there were terrorists as in where they were terrorists and as in this thing is actually happening. And the funny, a, a funny thing that makes me ask myself many questions, why is it that it's like, it's widespread when it comes to Christians, when it comes to Hindus, um, uh, all these other religions, as in it's rare, but when it comes to Christian, as in there's something to speak about. And I will allude to what um, this guy, Don was saying, and I'll say that the kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. And this is why the gates of Hades will never. And persecution is actually a way of how the church can grow. Look at the book of Acts, as in Paul was persecuting Christians and the, the, the Jews and Christians would actually go to, to Damascus. And Damascus was a place where the Jews and the king of Damascus actually hated the Romans and the people that were persecuting. So your, your enemy's enemy becomes friends. 
and uh, and it actually helped the church to grow in Damascus and all these other places. So may we look the persecution that we are going through, like the church of Smyrna, whereby persecution is speaking of something, and we'll read it as you continue with the book of Revelation, that it's actually something that, in as much as we go through persecution, as in God is actually going to come and he will fight for us. I will leave it at that. Yes, thanks so much, Katie. Uh, Duncan Chenge is saying, uh, I think maybe it's because those causing the violence have had bad encounters with Christians, so they're lashing out in a form of spite and revenge. Um, maybe I'd put you on the spot, Duncan, if you can kind of expound on what you mean. Um, I think, yes, Duncan, go Wait. ahead. Yeah, sorry, I was in, in the family room. Hi, so as I was saying, there, there are sometimes, <clears throat> okay, they, they, this is from what I see around, like you see some people, wana kashifu wa kristo, wana wa ingilia, unajua too, like the, the whole spiteful nature of people but if you really look like into it it's because in some point in their life they really mess them up in certain ways like i i i have an acquaintance i mean Saizi, she she spites Christo, but Ali disclosed it's primarily because she, once when she was in campus, she interned in this key, key Bible organization, Yenyeko called Langata Road. Now, Walim Treat V. Bayasana. So, yeah, your spite was really drawn from that. Like, women in Christo Manze, Unajua Vibia Christianity, the, the whole essence we love, like, that's the greatest commandment Jesus Ali to watch here, love. Sasa, if you don't do that and you project false notions of Christianity, if another case in Christians, the missionaries will the faith ku, ku, quote unquote brainwash Africans so there's that, that's another whole topic, but I'm just, uh, I quote to uh, another thing. I read, I read or watched that position, the fervent in, in being anti-Christian, Niju Pierre back in the day, who Christo, I don't know if it's if Walim Kashifu Viba on being gay or something, but Wakristo Hakumfanya Bizuri. So, yeah, there's that whole element of Wakristo and Atmia the faith 
vibaya then are those people it's like when Africa a certain place of influence good for them but in those influential spaces wananza ku ku channel out their anger like om linifanya hivi haya pokeni fimbo fimbo ya kwanza ya pili ya tatu hivyo hivyo yeah that's what namanisha awesome awesome thanks for expanding and it's actually <laughs> so this is this is very interesting because it shows something first of all i i agree with you completely duncan like that's there's church hurt that that has led people to spite and lashing out like now that you've explained it i have like i i i completely get it but i want to talk about something just very very briefly um and this is something that i learned the um, how can i say this um the devil is really really cunning when it comes to how we deal or or rather how he attacks the church from the mistakes of those in the church and i can give a very critical example or or rather a very um mind blowing example so someone comes to the church and they get hurt and they leave the church and they speak against the church and they say that they will never come to the church because so and so hurt them but in the world they would not do that so this goes to show that there is something that is attached to the church that really gets into the core of who people are and it tugs on the strings of their hearts and when that thing is severed unfortunately it causes a hurt that needs to be addressed and if it's not addressed it will lead to further pain and further hurt i hope i'm with everyone till there something i was told was if we let our circumstances determine our faith then we will never truly be christians people will hurt you and i'm not excusing the church hurt that has been seen we like we've seen some very crazy things we've seen from the catholic church to the protestant to the protestant church we've seen all these things and i am not excusing even one bit and i want that to be very clear i'm not excusing and even the smallest bit but when we let our circumstances determine how we live our lives then we will forever be bound because those circumstances is what the devil will use because how can you explain the fact that you will leave a church because you got hurt and never come back but you will go to the same club that you got kicked out of last week how will you explain that you will not go to the church that people spoke bad about you but you will go and make peace and make friends with the same people who backstabbed you in front of a completely like in front of a crowd just for the sake of popularity to get in with the right crowd how will you say that you will not go back to the church where the person did you know like no one no one greeted you but you will go back to the same uni where people bully you every single day are you beginning to see that the circumstances as soon as you let them determine 
how you live your life, then it becomes a very, very, it becomes something that the devil will really, really use. Because you cannot explain how it would be easier for you to forgive someone who has slept with your boyfriend or slept with your girlfriend, but it will be very hard for you to forgive someone who did not greet you in church or who maybe spoke ill of you in church or who maybe backstabbed you in church. It's like there's something that the devil is using when you're exposed that when someone makes a mistake in the family of God, he will harvest that to make sure that you never, ever go there. But when it comes to the world, he would just leave it and, and even allow you to reconcile very easily with the people that have hurt you in the world, but not with the people that hurt you in church. There's something that we really, really must pay attention to as Christians. And again, I am not excusing the kind of things and kind of nonsense that we're seeing happening in church today. But what I am appealing to is for us to be very careful not to make the reason why we miss out on heaven circumstantial, because that is how the devil wins. I'm seeing KTS said that, um, understand that we're all part of, um, of Adam's family and hurt people hurt people, yes. And that, that we judge Christianity based on fallen humanity, yet we should judge it based on Jesus. That is exactly what I was going at. When our circumstances become the reason why we are Christians, then we lose out on the actual core of Christianity. Because just like A.T. said, hurt people will hurt people. There'll be people in the church who will hurt you because they're hurt and dealing with their own hurt. There'll be people in the church who are not true Christians and they've come with an agenda and they will hurt you. But you need to ask yourself, why is it so easy for me to forgive people in the world who would do the exact same things and even more? But it's nothing, it's not easy for me to even begin to address the issues that I face at church? The answer is, there is something, there is someone that is making sure that you have a difficult time reconciling in the church because they know if you reconcile, you will actually see the church for what it really is, a hospital for sick people, all coming under Christ for healing. And they know that if you see that, then you will stick through, you will forgive, you'll be quick to forgive, you will be slow to anger, you will be understanding of people, you will extend grace. So they want to make sure that with every single wrong thing that is done to you in church, you the first instance is, the first thought in your mind is, let me get out. But the same person, you are the same person, you will find that in the world, you will be the one who is so easy to forgive. You could get rear-ended leaving somewhere for drinks and you would forgive the person and say, ah, insurance will take care of it. But my goodness, you don't want to come to church anymore. You don't want to do you know, anything. It's like it ruins the entire experience for you. And it's like, wow. So we really need to address this, this thing because it is, it is part of this persecution for Christianity. It is a persecution for our, in our emotions. And we're going, as, as we go deeper into the next chapter, we're going to see just how detrimental that is. So I really like that you brought that up, Duncan. And um, maybe I can open it up to someone who has something to say, who has um, a comment, statement, Musafiri. I see you. I see you. I have been seeing you for the longest time. Please, come here. 
briefly yes yeah uh, what is our response uh, in the midst of persecution uh, I, 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 I find it quite uh, the formula that the Bible has given us as Christians who are uh, facing persecution is to be honest <laughs> hard <laughs> uh, to to adhere to uh, just to give a personal illustration there was a time uh, I think two years ago uh, uh, I, I went home I went back home uh, for for a holiday so uh, of course, in the home church, I used to serve in the home church. So yeah, I was just yeah, hanging out with people for, for a month, hanging out with my fellow youth and all that, trying to give them ideas. my ideas, my friend, yeah. <laughs> and you just want to like impact people with what you've learned and all that. And, 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 and at some point, I, I wanted to start a project. Let me call it a project. But basically, like small groups, like like because uh, in our home church we didn't have small groups, like the concept. So I, I really wanted to start that, especially for 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 young people. And 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 uh, I, I received like positive feedback in, in, uh, from 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 the youth, and they were really keen. Like I helped in setting up. Uh, like uh, structure and all that, like meetings, like where we'll be meeting, the activities we'll be doing, and people are so excited. By the time I was leaving, I was so confident that, wow, this thing is going to happen. And I was even like, wow, I'm going to be follow up on them, find resources for, for these guys. Then I get to Nairobi and uh, I hear a different story. <laughs> Start receiving calls like, uh, people are saying uh, like you've been sleeping around with girls in the church because I, I, I remember that time I was like uh, I had like two friends two girlfriends let me not say friends just two girls who like we were in contact with most of the time and I used to encourage them pray with them but in the church not outside the church like everything we did was in the church and I, I remember even praying for one who, who was sick and she got she miraculously got healed. Uh, I am even surprised to date. Like I never prayed for someone and they got healed immediately, but it happened. And, <laughs> and then people start saying, Oh, you've been sleeping around with this girl and this girl and their best friends. And I was like, like, what is this? Like, I was like, where did this start? And it was it was false. Uh, to make it clear, it was not true. It was really, it was false, and the story just kept on going. And I found, and I, I like, I tried my best to find out where it started. And I realized that someone was close to me at that time, like somebody like like we used to do Bible study together in the church. Because when I go home, it's mainly in the church, church home, church home. And I realized, so why did, did, did this guy like guy like ask me if this is true and all that? Then I tried to reach out to me. What? Like, it was so harsh and uh, at some point uh, it really got like it was so it was a very bad feeling but then 
God told me, you just let it go. Because I, I, I even wanted to start calling the pastor and all that. Because I was like, what? Like, the way news spread and, like, what would the pastor say if he had such a thing? And what would my mom say? What will people, how would people see me the next time I go home? Like, man i struggled with that <laughs> i like no no i can't like you want me to do nothing about it and i'm like no 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 and god told me i want you to do nothing about it and i just want you to be still i just want you to pray and leave the rest like literally god told me this is not your battle the battle is mine and it was so hard to be honest uh because i really want to make things right in my own way like i wanted things to be clear and on top of that god told me now pray for this person who is who, who is the main like uh, who is like the one who is like uh, the main orchestrator of all this and he told me you must love him and you must pray for him love those who uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute i had to put that in action it was not easy but yeah, I had to obey God and listen to what he was saying. And you know what? Uh, uh, a few is it weeks or months later, the guy reached out to me and apologized. And yeah, the, the rest is history. And But unfortunately, to date, like, uh, uh, we've never managed to set up what, like, the vision I had at that time. So I'm, say, I'm, say, I'm telling this story because I know some of us like go through such things and we would really want to, and we really want to like respond, to do things our own way. And that's not how the Bible describes our response when it comes to such things, when it comes to persecution. I don't see like Christians like taking swords and fighting and Christians or even fellow Christians who were against you, but a totally different response and yeah for me i feel that i should emphasize our response to some of the things we are facing that we only need to be still like uh, god told uh, uh, moses and the israelites at that time but yeah, i will fight for you you only need to be still you only need to hold your peace and it's really encouraging not easy uh, practically easier said than done but yeah, and you know, when you are in, in a position, I, I said this last weekend to a, to a certain group, when you're in a position where God has placed you to minister to others, and I know KT will have so many stories to tell about this. People will misunderstand you, people will misquote you, people will slander you for things that you didn't do or say. So we need to have uh, wisdom, and we need to ask God for that strength to let go sometimes and let him fight our battles. Back to you. <laughs> no, no, that was actually amazing. I think it's it has brought up an issue that um we will have to revisit this, the the persecution that we face as Christians today. Um, that one I have actually noted it down. So we shall revisit later on, like after we finish with this series, because that like we we need to to address because i've seen even in the comments um Sibira said persecution from my fellow church members 
is worse than anything. It really hurts. So we're we're going to maybe have a time when we can talk about and actually um, find out the root issues, or rather, um, the root cause of that pain. You know that that just hits different when it comes to the church family. Um, so thank you so much, Mr. Free, for that. And what you said has led us nicely into the next chapter, which is chapter seven. Um, and I'm hoping that we have time to kind of just run through it. And so we're seeing the religious persecution and the natural calamities. And these things, they are evidence of a very, very broken world. And we're seeing that the, the response of those in the world that are very angry at the church that are causing the persecution, that are so angry from the natural calamities that, is, that, 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 that leaves them so blind to what is actually going on and they fall into the trap that we've been talking about since the beginning of this um, discussion, where they fall back into the traps of, of these four horsemen. We see them finally at chapter at, at, uh, verse 15, where they're talking about how, you know, um, sorry, where we're being told about the kings of the earth, the rurals, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, where they have no hope because they're seeing that while they were dealing with all these things, while they were dealing with the anger, while they were dealing with the, you know, with the horsemen, the end came. And the end came and they, and they asked this very important question that is being answered throughout chapter seven. Who is able to survive? And we see chapter seven begin by giving us an answer to that. Um, and it's, Wait, the, the, the full verse, let me just read it out. Um, chapter, chapter six, verse um, 16 and 17. And it says, and they cried out to the mountains and the rocks. They said, fall on us and hide us from the face of who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath had, had, has come and who is able to survive? So it leaves us kind of on a, on a cliffhanger as we go into chapter seven and begin to actually address this whole question of who are the survivors? Who is surviving? Who is saving? And I split it into three questions that I want to answer and then hand it over to KT. And the first question is, who can save? And we see this in chapter seven, verse three. Um, and you know, I hope that people have been reading because we told you guys to read. <laughs> I don't want to read the entire chapter just, just because of time. But chapter three, it says, um, of, uh, verse three of chapter seven, it says, wait, this is um, an angel sent by God speaking. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So to answer the first question, who can save? We're seeing that there is one. Um, and, and if we continue to, like if we, if we read it in, in its context, we're seeing that there were angels who were sent to release chaos, to release those judgments that we've been told about in chapter six. But before the full climax of what has been released is actually released into the world, we see Jesus say, do not harm those who have the mark of God on their foreheads because they've been marked as his servants. So who can save? <laughs> and this is a, it, it seems like a very simple question because obviously the answer is Jesus as you've been reading. But the reason I ask this question is because we're living in a time where 
just like the first horseman, we're seeing that there are very many people who can quote unquote save. And in the world, it's very easy for us to kind of differentiate. It's like, oh, obviously that can save you, that can save you. But it's in the church where the issue actually comes in. Because we're living like we're part of, you know, it could be something that you're living with as a Christian in different denominations where you've been taught that men, so-and-so can save. If you pray to one, two, three, they can save. If you do ABC, they can save. If you pray this type of prayer, it can save. And I can, I can confidently say that only Jesus has the power to save. It is evident from this, just thus far that we've come. We have seen, just like Katie said two weeks ago. Is it me or there was, frozen? Sorry. You had frozen Israel. Allah. Eh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And look on my freezer, Hey, Jesus. How do you feel about yourself, Katie? Let me just ask you that. That's a joke. That's a, that's a, that's a, I feel like rapture is about to happen. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's see. So I had, no one is helping you to tell me I had frozen. Please, what is idea? <laughs> um, if someone can tell me Malindikwani freeze, then I can just pick up from there. Uh, wait, I'll just start from the first question. Yes, who can from? save? Yes, thank you so much, Lydia. The only sensible person in this chat. <laughs> um, who can save? Only Jesus can save. Um, and like I was saying, or rather, I hope you had this. Um, in the world, it's very easy to differentiate the, the lies that we hear when we, when we hear who can save or who cannot be saved or who cannot save. But it's in the church where it actually becomes very tricky because we say only Jesus can save, but we're living in a, in, in a time when we have different denominations that give different kinds of saving. We are told that, oh, if you pray to one, two, three, they can save. If you do ABC, they can save. If you, you know, if you pray a certain way, then you can be saved. But we're seeing only God, only Jesus can save. And I throw it back to two, three weeks ago when Katie was talking about the the, the what's it called the scroll and the seven seals and what that actually means what seven seals means on a scroll or rather on um, the, the use of seven seals it means that only an heir can be able to open this and we see John crying out because no one was able to open the scrolls no one alive no one in heaven no one in hell or in the earth below and it's interesting because we see it says no one in heaven so no angel you cannot pray to an angel to save you. You cannot pray to a saint to save you. You cannot pray to someone on earth to save you. You cannot pray to a prophet to save you. You cannot pray to a preacher to save you. You cannot pray to a demon to save you. You cannot make a deal with the devil and expect to be saved. John says there is no one, there was no one and he wept bitterly. So who can save? Jesus can save. It is, and it, it's further explained because it's, it's further emphasized because it is Jesus who gave the judgment. It is the judgment coming from God, but it is the same God who then goes ahead and says, before this judgment reaches its completion, let there be those who are marked 
on their foreheads as my servants. Like he has the power. No one else has the power to do this. It is very, very interesting. I'm saying, Wageshi saying that, um, that really says a lot about the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, and actually not just the Roman Catholic Church, even in, in, in our church, you know, in, in, the, in the Protestant church, we're living in progressive Christianity where now it's not about Jesus, it's about inner divinity. You can go read up on that. We, we had teachings on that. There's notes that you can get. It's, it is spread out from all extremes where you have traditions that are making people earn their way into heaven. And then you have this whole idea of grace that is taken out of its context where people can live however way they want to live and still get into heaven. So it is, it is a very simple question, but it's a question that attacks the core of who we are as Christians. And before I go to the next question, uh, to the next question, maybe I can give it to Katie if you have anything to add on this. Um, okay, for me, I wanted to summarize <laughs> Revelation 7. <laughs> so, ah, sour, sour, basi. Ah, yeah, let me just finish it up real quick. The second one is who will be saved? And we've seen this those who are marked on their foreheads, who are the servants of God. And this is where we begin to see the first number that has, again, is, is going to really shake us to our core in Christianity because it really challenges our core, our, our um, doctrine. We see this number 144,000. And we have some people who believe that it is actually 144,000 people, the number. And we, you know, we know these, I think it's SDA or I, I, I don't know, is it Jehovah's Witness, if I'm not wrong, who believe that is an, an, an actual, yeah, it's Jehovah's Witness who believe it's an actual 144,000. But if you look at this, I can just break it down real quick. 144,000, as John says, it is the 12 tribes multiplied by 12 and given a thousand. It's in, like it's very simple math, but if you look at the um, the biblical writing style, um, we see that completion of completion was was um what's it called? Like whenever you wanted to emphasize completion, you would use the same number and emphasize the number. So, for example, when Jesus said, "Israel, you are at completion," you are at completion. I, I am at completion. Maze. Yes, Ulihan. Ah, my, my internet is incomplete. My goodness. Well, uh, let me try and see if I can fix it. Katie, uh, let me try and fix my internet. Okay. So uh, um, let, 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 let me just say this, because I wanted to add on to what Israel was actually saying. Um, you, you, you find that before even the 144,000 that... The Bible says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the, land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting first to ask, I think we can ask ourselves, why the four winds? 
as in why the four winds. And there are many, many things that people are actually saying. I'll say this. First of all, there's a pause between the seventh, the sixth and the seventh seal. There's a there's a pause. And a seal is like a stamp or owner's mark or of identification on something. This is why they were being held back so that they will be sealed. So they will be sealed. A seal showed that people belonged to God and they were devoted to God's service. This is in their ancient days. And it spoke about people being under God's care. In other words, they were being protected and they were possessed in terms of, as in God was like their owner. Um, Israel, Umerudi, because I don't want to, Nini, I want, you, I want to build on to what you're saying because you have a very, very valid and heavy point. Awesome, yes, I think everything is sorted now. Um, so I was talking about the 144,000 and I was giving the illustration of how the Bible has been written. Um, again, for those of us who are with us, when we started the Bible study, one of the first thing that we did was um, biblical styles and literature. And the Bible has very, very many writing styles and one of them is poetic. And we see the best example is when Jesus was asked by his disciples, how many times do you forgive? And I think it was Peter who asked, you know, is it seven times? Is it, you know, what, 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 when Jesus goes on and says, actually, it is seven times seven. Like, whatever you say that you think is completion, you add on to that to kind of emphasize completion on completion. So when you see 144,000, it is actually the 12 tribes multiplied by 12, kind of like emphasize. And then the word thousand in the Bible is actually used to kind of show a great multitude. So you see John when he says the 144,000 is not an actual number. What he's actually saying it is the completion of completion of God's people in the multitudes. Like that is a, a glimpse of, like that is essentially what he's saying. And this is actually emphasized later down in verse nine because it starts by saying that he saw a an, an uncountable vast crowd. There's no way it could be a number of 144,000 who are saved and then go on to verse nine to chapter, is it chapter nine or um, to verse nine and then begin by saying, I saw a vast uncountable crowd. I, sorry, he said, I saw an uncountable vast crowd. It can only mean that he saw an investable and countable vast crowd if we actually take in the true meaning of what 144,000 actually means. So who will be saved? To answer the second question, those who are marked by God. The third question is, who can stand against? And the answer is none, because we see this throughout Revelation so far. But as Christians, we can stand. But as we stand, we don't stand on our own authority. Remember, Jesus said, in um, John, John, John 16, verse 33, and I'm just going to read it out. He says, I have told you these things. This is the combination of how he's talking to his disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Then he goes on in John 17, 1 to 5, and he says, after this he looked up to heaven and prayed. 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you, I have, I, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had uh, with you before the world began. So who can stand against? Only Jesus and those who are marked by Jesus, those who are marked by him. And this now brings in a very, very interesting thing because as I just handed over to Katie, it kind of gives our faith a deeper kind of urgency. Because like Katie said before, like it's, it's going to get worse. There is no at the site to go up and it gets better. It's going to get worse. And if you are not marked by God, you have no hope of surviving what is to come. We have no hope of surviving now even. And we're only in what is the probably the middle or you know going into the climax. There is so much more to come. And if we are not marked, then we have no hope. So who can stand against? No one can stand against. Because it is only Jesus. But through Jesus, and, and I know that this kind of makes no sense because it sounds like I'm saying yes and no. But we only get to stand because we're drenched in the blood of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit working within us. So it is only God who can actually stand against what is to come. And because we are in God, and this now brings into focus why it is very important that Jesus said, it is better for you that I leave so that the advocate can come. Because it is better for you that I leave so that you can be marked. This mark, this this, this mark on the void that is being given to us is actually evidenced by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is how you can be marked. So this goes on to actually show, and it, like, like I said, like we said from the very beginning, Revelation does not say anything new. Now we begin to see how it was, why Jesus was, it was so important that he had to leave. Because if he could not leave, if he had not left, we would not receive the mark that is evidenced by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that sets us up as the children of God? That has answered all three questions. Katie, Kwakusasa. Wow. Um, Asante, let me, let me add something to what Israel has said. Um, the completion in terms of the Jews. By the way, something that you might not know, by the way, the tribulation, the original name is actually called Jacob's Trouble. And Jacob is Israel. And when we say that Jacob is Israel, the tribulation was actually supposed to be for them. And the reason as to why you find the 144,000 are mentioned, you will find there's a tribe that is not there. <laughs> I don't know whether you've found out that. There's a tribe that is not there. And someone to turn to the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight, chapter 29, verse 18 to 21. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18 to 21. Another thing about um, the children of Israel is 
you find that these people were at a time that um, um, the, the, the children of Israel were at a time that they don't they didn't believe in the coming. They didn't believe that Jesus would come the way he came as the Prince of Peace. But to them, they thought that Jesus would come like David, as in a man of war and trample over the enemies. And it, you see, that's why they were against um, the Romans. And they were believing that Jesus would come as a man of war. And, uh, and, and Jesus came in a different way. And as Jesus came in that different way, you find that there was quite a lot that was happening. I'm, I'm trying to build my case. Someone to read um, Deuteronomy chapter 29, 18 to 21, please. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18 to 21. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among, among you that produces such bitter poison. 19, when such a person hears the word, the words of this post, and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe, even though I persist in, in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will follow them, and the Lord will blot out their name from under heaven. 21. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Thank you, Nyambu. So you find that um, the, the, the children of Israel were given laws and rules and regulations. And uh, it got to a time that they used to believe in oral tradition, oral tradition, which is like spoken by words of mouth. And they would pass it on from generation to generation. But it gets to a time that um, they, 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 they only had by the, the Old Testament. And you see, they were believing that Jesus would come up as a man of war and it is so to them, they don't believe in the New Testament. They don't believe in the New Testament. And that's why the book of Daniel is there. And they say that this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will come. And the moment on the second half, after three and a half years, he will try to establish Jerusalem and to, to demand, he will demand worship. That is when it will hit the children of Israel. Manze as in Jesus Christ actually came. And when it is speaking about 144,000, it is speaking about the children of Israel, the Jews, all of them will be saved because they believed and they held firm to, to what the word says. But now this is the Old Testament. That's why you find that some things that are in the book of, of Daniel, they're actually in the book of Revelation. Now they will fully believe and up they will stand. And you will get to find, I think it's in Revelation 13. It's like a, a dragon or the beast is after the children of Israel, but already they've been marked. And these people, they will reach out to now the Gentiles. Remember I say that um, the, 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 the tribulation was meant for Israel, for the Jews. 
but it's also for the Gentiles that have remained because we are living in the church age and the church are actually the, the Gentiles. And then you get to find that the reason as to why Nyambu was reading that, there's a tribe that is not there and the reason was because of idolatry. This is the tribe of Dan. This is the tribe of Dan. It was blotted out completely. And uh, as she read, especially on verse, 29, on verse 21 of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 20, 29. Can you see how important it is for like what Israel is saying? As in these people that have now been marked, they have been sealed. As in our say, as in Sisi, we are going to reach out to even um, the, the people that are going to remain, the people that manze to make to keep here, and if rapture happens today, what bakenyuma. And uh say tafika time manze wengine watakuwa shaken, watakuwa manze, how will we get salvation? And now these people that have been marked, they can be used as missionaries. If you continue to read the book of um of, uh, of, of, of revelation, you will find that there are also two witnesses that will be there. Um, we will explain when we get there. I don't want to, to, to talk about that. So that is something I wanted to say. And uh, another thing, another thing, I think I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Um, Lydia is asking who will be used as missionaries. Katie, okay, if you can explain that again. The 144,000, because they've been marked. So I hope that's clear, Lydia. Um, man, that was amazing. Anyone else have any anything, any question, any comment? I think we've just gone through the first like half of chapter seven and um, we want to kind of end it there because of time. So yeah, this is, if anyone has any questions, any comments. Hi, this is Lily. I have a uh, yes. contribution if I may. Thank you. Um, I wanted to contribute earlier um, when Duncan had spoken and shared about um, the church hurt and how we talked about it. And um, I just, um, I, I wanted to contribute at that time, but unfortunately I, I dropped off. But um, I think it's demonstrated really well in the example that Safiri shared. And um, apart from that, um, one main consideration that I think we should all remember, even as we're navigating this sort of lived experience here on earth, is that life is spiritual. So our life is spiritual. We are spiritual beings, like going through a human existence and experience. And so when some of these things happen, sometimes we analyze them from a human perspective but it's really important for us to remember that these are the wells of the enemy that he uses um, in the church. And it's not always to push people out of the church. So example, how um, people will get hurt and will leave the church. But oftentimes people get hurt and they stay in the church and often that can be really detrimental because those people, if they are not really properly healed, 
of those hurts end up causing so much more damage in the church. So I guess with this understanding that um, um, there is a spiritual underlining to the things that we experience as people and the things that we um, put other people through. Even within the church and amongst each other, there are times where we don't take responsibility for how we interact with people um, and we end up hurting people or we don't take responsibility for how we have responded to how what someone has done or said and we end up being hurt. So I guess for me, um, it was just to highlight that, that there is a spiritual um, basis for these experiences um, to call us to a place of responsibility, taking responsibility for how we um, treat each other, respond to each other, and also how we receive things from, from other people um, and being able to rise above that. The consequences of not doing this are very clear in the example that Musafiri shared. He shared that at the beginning when he was interacting with um, these people, um, he really wanted to put in place a program that would um, um, bring growth to the young people that um, he was he was talking to. And he shared after that, after all of these things happened, your program Haijawai come to fruition. So you can see that out of this whole thing, even though there was a semblance of reconciliation, Naum Twalikujaka apologize, actually the bigger impact is that there's a ministry that didn't happen. And that is the ultimate um, goal of the enemy, even within the church. So um, I just wanted to share that as something that we should be aware of. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, I think, like I said, it, it's it's great that you brought it up, Safiri, because now we, after we finish with this, we're going to set some time apart and actually dive into church hurt and how that looks like and how to actually, you know, get to the spiritual root of it all. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for that, Lily. Um, and even on that, as we go into the second half of chapter seven, we'll begin to see just how important it is to actually make sure that we're not swayed by such things as church hurt. Like in as, in as much as they are very hurtful, very real, we are going to, to begin to see the true cost, what it looks like to be a Christian. Um, and I don't spoil that because, you know, uh, we've run out of time, uh, but I want to give um, more time for, or other space for someone who has anything else to ask, to add, um, go ahead. Um, I have something to add on what Lily said. Yes, go um, on. About like, Okay, not really what she said, but like what everyone said. Um, but sometimes uh, when you get hurt in church, it's not really that the person intended to do it. It could be that there's a spirit controlling them. And I'm saying that because <laughs> I can imagine book, Sana. It's called He Came to Settle the Captive Street. So in that book, um, the author says that 
there used to be a church she used to attend. And at some point, a certain satanist uh, started attending the church because the, like, the main point was uh, Sambaratisha, the whole thing. So like, and it started, it started small, like he started contributing large sums of money to the church. So like somehow the church became not church completely, but like the church committee became dependent on him because like he was the one bringing in all the cash. And then this guy started suggesting, these people used to meet on Wednesday. It was a really prayerful church. They used to meet on Wednesdays to pray. So like getting a cool pray, he decided to like, organize a church choir and then wakwanga waki practice the atemiakukri. So it became like like Kulianza kwana some sort of argument church because our sewa prayers, but then they also still have to attend practice. And then this guy eventually akasema, how about we just stop like kupatana we pray? We can just do it like on Sunday, and stuff like Kitutu brush over. And the author was saying that that really affected the church because prayer was what was holding the church. And since your foundation Iliko weekend after watching Kumit, it affected how how spiritually, how the church was growing spiritually, so what Wakanza like Kumove and all that, and at the end of it all, like church Elisha too. So quite your point, yeah, your argument. Obviously, there are people who got hurt because like they're trying to drive certain point home and get out of something else. So sometimes we should really consider that there's a spirit behind all that. Awesome, yeah, thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, just briefly, it's very interesting that you then, uh, the way that you've said that links us back to what we're talking about in the in the horseman, you know, and I, I don't know if anyone else has seen this, but it goes into the, the first horseman that we saw, you know, this whole idea of a false teaching that is infiltrating every single area of the world, including the church, and it starts with something as subtle as that. And we read, like we, we discussed how we beat this horseman and the influences of this horseman, which is just by radically reading the Bible, radically professing the word and making sure that we are embodying the word of God. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Ngeshi. Um, I want to hand it over to Kwema to end, but before that, Katie, um, if you have anything, to finish us off with? Um, let me answer Laida. Um, first, I just want you to know that rapture happens between chapter four and chapter five. Rapture happens between chapter four and chapter five, and it sets the stage to now all these things happening. And by the way, now chapter eight is even another level, and we speak about the trumpets, and imagine the seventh seal hasn't even been um, opened. And uh, yeah, 
by the way, for more, you can just go to the podcast and uh, we've talked about it. We've explained from Daniel and all those other names. Me, what I can say is let's continue to hold firm to the faith. Let's not be swayed by teachings that are coming. Let's not be swayed. And uh, for homework, by the way, just read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the entire 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You find Paul was telling the Thessalonians that Manze, um, um, as, in, as in the Thessalonians had been lied to. They were told that rapture had already happened and Walkoamibaki. But Paul was telling them, no, 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 no. Nothing like that has happened. And uh, that time is going to come. And even Paul was saying that even me, even him, he will be part of the people that will be taken up. So let's let's just hold firmly to the word of God, which is the word of truth. And uh, let's dissect the word. Let's dissect the word. Let's ask questions. Jesus asked, Jesus said, scrutinize the scriptures so that you will get to know. Let's let's continue to grow in the word. Let's spend time reading, even if it's daily, like in the morning, just try to set some time that you will be able to read and you will never know when that word will become life because it becomes life when we get into situations that are murky. And that is where now God will speak that word and he will tell you, say this or do this and maybe go this place, go this way and it is it. Let's just continue to grow deeper and deeper in the word. And let's know that Jesus Christ is coming soon. By the way, if you're here and maybe you don't know um, you're here and maybe you don't know God, Jesus. You can DM, you can DM, not to DM, eh, ah, ah, whichever. Yeah, there's Israel, there's me, there's Msafiri, as in just DM, and then we will be able to pray with you. Thank you so much for joining. I, I, I hope that we can share with someone. We can share with someone. We can share with someone, as in even next week, you can invite someone. Mombia to discuss Revelation. Come to Manzowski Village and discuss. Thank you. And uh, God bless each and every one of you. May he make his face shine upon you. Koima. Uh, thank you for that. I am just here to Kumalizia. And there's nothing more that I can say really. I also just want to thank each and every one of you for being here joining us for today's bible study thank you so much uh, i also want to give a special shout out to everyone who you know everyone who has had taken time to tune in from the first time we started the book of revelations um i think that i i believe that some of these things might be a little confusing, but uh, I'm thankful that we have been able to record all of these sessions. So that is why you need to go to our um, podcast and be able to just review everything. Yeah, And if you have many questions and many you know, comments or concerns, you can always reach out to KT and Easy and you know just anyone else to be able to have a discussion about it. Um, let's meet here next week same time same place until otherwise communicated uh i think i shall pray and then we shall be on our way let us believe and pray 
Almighty Father, we are thankful for the meeting that we've had. Thank you for the Bible study. Thank you for even the books that we have studied, for all that you have taught us, oh God, through Easy and um, Pastor Kitty. We are thankful for the ears that have listened. And God, we pray that even as we continue studying the book of Revelation, we might find deeper and better understanding. We might be able to even um, use it into practice all the things that we have learned, even as we make disciples, uh, as we reach out to our friends and our family, that you may be that in our meeting, oh Lord. Uh, I thank you for each and every person represented here, each and every family, oh God, that even as we depart from this meeting, you may bless us, you may guide us. Uh, may you bless back of our hands as we go through the rest of the week, oh God. May you provide for us in every need that we have. And may you just come through for us, oh God, in a mighty way. I thank you and I bless you. May you guide us for the rest of the night. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.